Father, we look tonight as we wander through this life that we call the wilderness. They're difficult, frightening times. So tonight we look to you for comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure that I can ever sing that song on eagle's wings without reflecting back maybe 15 years ago when my daughter-in-law's father suddenly died. And uh, my son sang at his wedding, at his funeral, I'm sorry, his funeral. And uh, I just remember Eric singing on eagle's wings. I think every time I hear that song, I think, I think about the comfort that that song brought that family. But that's really the purpose of tonight's message, too, is comfort. You know, walking through this life, I had the opportunity to talk to a number of people this past week while on vacation. And everybody's in a different place in their life on a little part of a journey. But every once in a while, you run across somebody who's bold enough to actually answer your question honestly when you say to them, Hi, how are you doing? Now, a lot of times what you get is fine. You know what fine is, F-I-N-E. Feelings I'm not expressing. That's what it stands for. But every once in a while, there's people say, not well. You know, and what do you do when somebody goes, they actually give you an honest answer, not well. Well, part of me wants to say, who do you think is going to win tonight? (laughs) Go back to the game. But I asked, well, what's the problem? And then I began to hear the struggle this person was going through in a family situation. And, you know, when you go through the wilderness, when you go through this life and you run against family problems, or you run against marriage problems, or you run against a death of a loved one in the family or, or whatever, it's a very difficult time, to say the least. And sometimes when you have difficulty in this life and there's a loss or suffering or whatever, it's frightening too because you're just not quite sure what's down the road yet ahead of you. So what is it that sustains you in those difficult times? How do you cope when life is difficult and frightening? Where does your strength come from? Well, sometimes we believe that optimism is the key to making it through the wilderness. And there's no um, question that optimism can be pretty powerful. You know, buck up, buddy, (laughs) smile, better, you know, being optimistic. But is it enough? I mean, think about the optimist who fell off the skyscraper as he passed the 12th floor. uh, Horrified onlookers heard him shout, so far, so good. Or think of the two hunters who heard about a bounty that was offered for the hide of wolves uh, who were decimating local livestock. So they headed out to the wide open spaces to shoot some wolves and make themselves rich. Now they had just fallen asleep out underneath the stars when a noise woke one of them. And in the reflection of the campfire, he saw the eyes of 25 wolves, teeth gleaming in the firelight. He immediately shook his friend and whispered, Wake up, wake up, we're rich. (laughs) Well, optimism is great, but the question is, is it enough? 
Well, no, the optimism of a falling friend off of a tall building uh, by itself is no match for the gravitational pull of the earth, nor is the optimism of a, our hunted hunter by itself a match for wild beasts in the wilderness. Something more than optimism is needed, and it's that something more that we're focusing on here in our fifth message in this series on wilderness time. Now, I told you to tuck that last little verse of Mark in your head where it says, and he was with the wild beasts. But then Mark says there was something more in the wilderness than those wild beasts. It says, and the angels waited on him. Now, what do you know about angels? Well, almost anybody can tell you what an angel looks like. Do you ever wonder where they get the idea what angels look like? You know, we know an angel's got a halo, right? Around his head. Wings sprouting from the back. In fact, uh, if you remember an old hymn, it was number 66 in the TLH. I don't know why I should remember that. But Isaiah, mighty seer in days of old. And it talks about these angels that with two wings they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with the other two they they flew through the air singing, holy, holy, holy. Six wings. When was the last time you ever saw a six-winged angel at Christmas time? I bet none of you got one of those. If you did, everybody would go, what do you got, a mutant angel? You know, and, and they probably got a long, flowing white gown, probably with, uh, I don't know, silver and gold in it. And they probably got a harp in their hands. But, you know, the interesting thing, the Bible doesn't seem very concerned about what angels look like. And it's kind of interesting. Every time an angel appears, it seems to scare the bejabbers out of people. I'm not sure why that, but I guess I saw someone with six wings. It might do that to me, too. Well, I think maybe the reason why the Bible doesn't talk about what angels really look like is because you don't really experience angels like you do a Christmas ornament. You don't see angels like you see them as Christmas tree decorations or perched on the top of your Christmas tree. In nearly every instance, the Bible mentions angels simply for what they do and not for what they look like. There are two different words. There's a Hebrew word and a Greek word for angel. It's not really for angel, but in, in the Hebrew, the word is malach. And in the Greek, it's angelos. Now, both of those words mean the same thing. It means messenger. So, you see an angel, you're seeing a messenger. If you're seeing a malach or an angelos, messenger. Angels are messengers of hope. They're always messengers of hope when God's message of hope is most needed. I mean, they are expressions of, I guess, what we might call the inexpressible, the way we talk about God being present and bringing hope. We, we sometimes sing, Lord, be with us now. And what we're looking for is something, some message or some experience that's going to make us feel hopeful. I want you to think back for a moment the role of angels in the Bible. They usually appear at some of the lowest points in the lives of people who heard their messages. And they deliver messages to people in their wilderness times. For example, Abraham and Sarah. 
unknowingly entertained three angels who gave them the message of hope that they would have a son. You may remember Jacob, who wrestled all night with actually the angel of the Lord, all capital L-O-R-D, Malach Yahweh, Yahweh, literally wrestling all night with, with, with Jesus. Uh, he was wrestling, struggling with God, that's what he said, and he was struggling with his own life and the fear of the next morning that he was going to have to face that older brother of his, Esau, whom he cheated out of a birthright. Or think about the prophet Elijah. An angel brought hope and strength to Elijah while he sat down underneath this broom tree, wishing that God would just take his life. Or an angel who showed up on Easter morning to a bunch of grieving women and proclaimed that great message of hope. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now, those four that I, I talked about, you know, Abraham, Jacob, Elijah, the women at the tomb, these were terribly low points in their lives. These were times when God seemed very far away and where the next moment in their lives seemed relatively uncertain. I mean, there were times when both their need and their weakness to do anything about that need were very apparent. It was precisely at that moment of need, it was precisely at that moment of weakness that the messengers of God delivered their messages. See, this is the good news that Paul uh, discovered and recounted in that second scripture reading I, I read to you before. He was tormented by some sort of excruciating malady, which he called a thorn in the flesh. I mean, people for years have wondered what that was. Well, some people said, well, he suffered from epileptic seizures. Some people thought that he had a cleft palate. Some people thought he was kind of a hunchback, kind of a gnomish-looking character. I mean, some people thought he suffered from some kind of an eye disease. I think it's ophthalmology or something like that, where the eyes would ooze and run. Whatever it was, it seemed to cause him not only physical pain, but according to Paul, at least Paul felt like it was something that held him back from fully being what God called him to be. Whatever it was, he had this thorn in the flesh. And he, he prayed about this repeatedly, he, about this awful thorn in the flesh to be removed, and he basically always received that same answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, in our times of need, in our times of weakness, God's message of hope and comfort is spoken most often in a language that, quite honestly, is almost too deep for words and too profound to voice. And in the times of our greatest need, God's message of hope comes through when the soul is open to receive it, and sometimes even when the soul is not open. And I find that great comfort in the wilderness. It just says we're not alone when we travel through this wilderness. We have available to us God's sustenance. We have available to us God's strength. And we can always come out the other side of that wilderness stronger than we went in because we learned something more about God's power and strength in our lives. See, in the wilderness, we're not comforted just by mere optimism, but by hope. Probably could have sung that tonight. My hope 
is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I mean, the hope of God, the hope in Jesus, the hope that comes from knowing that we are not alone, the hope that comes from knowing that this wilderness, even if our wilderness experience lasts until we take our deep breath, is not all there is. The hope that comes from knowing that when our strength has gone, just like he told Paul, my strength is sufficient for you. God's got enough for you. Emily Dickinson, uh, poet, struggling to express the inexpressible, wrote, quote, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. End of quote. I don't know if you get a picture of that. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches within the soul. See, hope is not a thing that flies somewhere out there in the midst of all your storms, uh, untouched by the demands or challenges that you and I face. Rather, the power of hope lies in the presence in our everyday life. It just kind of perches in our souls. Hope stays with us, kind of singing its song as we walk through our wilderness life. But, you know, there's something else here I want to add. And if angels are simply messengers, can it be that many of the angels we meet are fellow human beings? Could be literally angels or just people God's used that you might say, that person was an angel to me. They brought me a message of hope. The person I told you the other day, I'm sitting before a basketball game, casually asked, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I expect fine. <laughs> I don't expect not well. And now I'm stuck in a way. But I said, so what's up? And we talked about it. And in the course of the conversation that maybe lasted 10, 12 minutes, uh, which ended, of all things, sitting in a gym praying with somebody, maybe five, six minutes before the game ever started. And, and that person, I have not seen them since. Don't know that I'll ever see them again. Said, thank you. Thank you. I feel so much better now. I mean, think of your darkest wilderness experiences. I don't know what they are. Were there people who were God's messengers of hope for you in those times? You know, when you're suffering and you're at the low point, was there somebody who walked into your life and brought you some hope? You know, I like to put in the funeral service that it's not a sermon, but it's a message of hope. A message of hope. I mean, that's one of the beautiful ministries that God gives to you and me. And that's to become a ministering, I don't know, angel, if you will, uh, to help a brother or a sister who's in their wilderness experience so that they too can experience that wonderful, um, the wonderful love, the wonderful comforting presence of God. See, even in the worst wilderness imaginable, God, God calls us to be persons through whom light and love and, and you know, of God flow through to a wilderness world. I have to tell you something kind of funny because when we finished praying and this person said, I, I can't tell you how good you made me feel. Uh, thanks. Um, do you come here often? 
And I said, well, I've been here the last couple of years. They said, do you live in the area? And I said, no, actually, I live in Texas. And this person came from Iowa. And so we both drove about six and a half hours to get there. And they said, so what do you do in Texas? Now, I've sometimes tempted to say, well, I'm a sheep herder. <laughs> I said, well, I'm a pastor. And they said, no kidding. Of all the people I would meet when I was going through a rough time, I'd meet a pastor. I said, you know something? I know a lot of people who would not be pastors and would not have that in front of their name who would have done the exact same thing for you because they were Christ followers. Because that's what Christ followers are called to do. John Henry Jowett said, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. I want to close by reading one of my favorite sections of God's Word. It comes also from 2 Corinthians. I can almost say I discovered this Bible passage when I was in seminary. And it's a Bible passage I'd read before, but I remember in seminary one night, sitting and reading, because we were going through studying some of Paul's letter, and I read this, and it just, maybe for some reason, it just clicked with me. And I'm going to preface it by saying, is there anybody here who's been through a difficult time? Okay, been through a difficult time. This passage is for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, okay, now listen, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you get that? When you were having a tough time and you received the comfort from God or the comfort from some godly person, you now have, been come, you have become infected and are now a carrier of comfort. Now, I, I think of a, a dear lady in my first church, Irene Carey. Irene Carey, delightful lady, who came to me one day terribly upset, terribly embarrassed to come and tell me that she was suffering from cancer of the uterus. She was, didn't even want to say that in front of me. And was battling this and just didn't know what to do. And, you know, I said, you know, Irene, I'm not sure, I mean, what I can do. I can pray for you. I can encourage you. That I can do. And we are going to pray not that uh, you can deal with this. We're going to pray that God can do a miracle with this. That God can somehow use this to his glory. And so we prayed. And she used to come in, she was getting some treatments, but she would come in about once a week, just, we'd pray. And sometimes I'd invite Pastor Willie in, or my associate, and sometimes if somebody else was in the office, we'd come in and we'd pray for her. But we never, she didn't want anybody else to know what she had. We just, I said, come in, we're going to pray for Irene. Well, after about, oh, two or three months, she came in and found out she was cancer-free. Whoa, what did we pray then? Prayer for Thanksgiving. I think, as I remember, we sang, Praise God from whom all blessings flow in my office. And uh, 
It was about a month later. I was walking through a grocery store, and somebody said, hey, pastor. And it turns, one of our members walked down. They said, uh, this is probably not the place to tell you this, but I just got back from the doctor, and I've got <clears throat> cancer of the uterus. I said, oh, my. You know who you ought to talk to? Irene Carey. She said, what? Just been through it. Been through it. Go talk to her. I will. The next day, Irene Carey came into my office. She was madder than a wet hen. <laughs> you know what she was mad about? Pastor, you told somebody what I had. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I violated one of my... I, should, I know I shouldn't. I told you I wouldn't. I said, I'm really sorry. She said, it was really good that you did, though. She says, but the guy, because I got to sit down and share with this other person. See, that's what happened here. The God of all comfort who comforted Irene in all of her affliction so that she was able to comfort this other woman in her affliction with that same comfort that she had received from God. This verse goes on and says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And I guess we can't add to Scripture, but I would tack on here and then go out and share that with someone else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for comforting us in life's journey. Sometimes we pray to you and we ask for comfort in times of difficulty, and you comfort us. There's no doubt about it. But there are many times when we sometimes very quickly say thank you. Sometimes we don't say anything. Lord, teach us to be thankful people for the comfort that you give us, whether it's directly through you or whether through your word or through a song or a story, a message, an angel, whatever, whatever it might be. But after giving thanks to you, Lord, Use us also to comfort other people, other people who perhaps have walked the same path we have to offer the same comfort that we had received. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.